Um, you've seen John up here, you've seen Bruce Brown, uh, Bruce Sears, and Adam, but you haven't seen me or Dale up here. And every time this comes up, we, we talk about in elders meeting that part of the role is that we should be able to get up and share the word and preach. And Dale and I just kind of don't, we don't make eye contact with the teacher. <laughs> and, um, and so Dale's going to be up here in a couple weeks, and uh, the streak has come to an end. So the Razorback broke their losing streak, and this streak comes to an end. Um, so now you know my struggle, but this is what I really believe. In Hebrews 4.12, it says that the Word of God is living and active. And, um, and in uh, Isaiah, I'm pretty sure is where I had it, 50, 56, talks about God's Word will not return to him empty. It will accomplish the purpose that he intended. I believe that, but like Adam shared with us last week, uh, like like the Father told Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. So if you would, as I get started, please uh, pray with me. So God, I, I just, um, I really believe that you can use even me uh, here and that you will. Help my unbelief. Uh, please bless the hearing. Uh, make the meditations of my heart acceptable to you and the, the words that I'll share, your word. And I trust you, Lord, I believe. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, I'd like to start with a recap of last week. I was really excited that we were going to talk about the Apostles' Creed and do this series. I, I, did, I was in a creedal church for a period of time, and uh, Sherry and I were talking about that, how it uh, seemed so natural to repeat it. And um, so, Adam kind of set the table last week, but it just so happens I've been reading a book I'll recommend. It's Albert Moeller. Adam quoted from his book last week, and it's called The Apostles' Creed, and it's really good. It takes it piece by piece. Um, but last week, Adam talked about the power of the statement, I believe, and how it's a, a world changer, a game changer for us as we look at the world through what we believe. He talked about um, that faith is the object that we put our faith in, and we trust based on evidence. It's not a blind uh, belief in something, but it's based on evidence. Um, he taught us how saying the creed together is unifying. When we stand and say together what we believe together, it brings us together. The closer we become uh, to God and his truth, the closer we come to each other. And so um, with that uh, said from last week as a good foundation to begin, uh, my role was just to come up and take this first section. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. But before I go there, and I thought, well, as much as I really uh, dread or am concerned about coming up here to share the word, I should just jump right in on God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, but I want to talk about the elephant in the room first. As we think about creeds, you know, we're standing up to say, I believe, I believe. It's almost like we're trying to convince ourselves sometimes. And the elephant in the room is doubt. And maybe it's, maybe it's even the elephant on all of our shoulders as Christians. And you think about it, and I, I had this discussion with Adam early in the week, is, is doubt sin? Uh, maybe doubt isn't sin, but it's certainly the fertile ground for where sin can begin. And if you look all the way from the garden, you know, did God really say? There's that doubt. And then sin takes root in that doubt. And, and how does God look at uh, doubt? Well, you know, it's pretty clear, the more I looked at this, it's really clear how God uh, looks at doubt. He's very disappointed 
in our doubt and disbelief. And let's think of some examples. Um, in the Old Testament, when the Lord encounters Abraham and Sarah, and he's told them they would have a baby in their old age. And then later on when he's talking to Sarah, and it's just, I, the Bible's beautiful the way it's written sometimes. I love the, the drama, but when uh, he, the Lord was chastising Sarah for not believing, you laughed when I told you this would come to pass. Oh, I didn't laugh. Oh, but you did laugh. I dropped the mic, and, and you can see the, the God's, how he views our doubt. Zechariah, same situation. Zechariah, uh, you and your wife Elizabeth will, will have a child. It'll be John the Baptist. And Zechariah, because he didn't believe, God muted him and shut his mouth until the time of the birth of John the Baptist. So, you know, how does God look at doubt? You can almost see God's frustration and even exasperation when you look through the scriptures. Um, not only in the Old Testament, but all the way uh, through to the uh, New Testament with the disciples over and over, calling them out for their doubt. You know, when Peter was sinking in the, in the water, when he grabbed his hand, he, the first thing Jesus said to him is, where's your faith? If you only had the faith of a mustard seed, we see in the New Testament. Um, in Luke 9.41, the strong words, you, you perverse and unbelieving generation. How long will I put up with you? Wow, those are strong words. Over and over we see it. You can almost see the exasperation and the... the God's interest in our trust and belief. You know, we think, how can we please God? You know, you can't please God without faith. It seems uh, hopeless because we have doubts. And when, we, you know, we just went through uh, Genesis. And where are the heroes of faith in Genesis? We saw them repeat the same mistakes and almost always started with doubt. You know, God told Abraham what he was going to do, but every time he faltered, he was beginning to doubt. Um, so it seems hopeless. But like uh, Pastor Adam always says, but God, it seems hopeless. What do we do about our weak uh, faith? What can we do? What are practical things? Adam told us last week, the Apostles' Creed and repeating what we believe, saying it together, encouraging one another, that's a very practical help uh, to do that. Uh, we can be here, be in church like Bruce was talking about, hear the word of God. Um, faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God. We can do that. Those are things we can exercise our faith as Christians and, and become stronger, but really, how do we muster up more faith? How do we have more faith? Well, the good news is it's not up to us. And uh, my friend John Carius would say, it's good that it's not up to us, because if it was, we'd screw it up. Um, the supernatural approach. So we've got practical things we can do. What about the supernatural approach? In Hebrews 12, God's word tells us that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. So even our faith, you know, the gospel tells us our salvation is a gift from God, nothing we can do to earn it. But even our faith is a gift from God. So that's where we can 
begin to take heart. Our human nature always wants to bend everything. And What can we do? What can we do to earn it? What can we do to get there? And the good news in the Bible is always that Jesus does the heavy lifting. I mean, in that scripture that Adam shared last week uh, in Mark 9, it was one of my favorites where the father of the sick boy says, I believe that help my unbelief. And last week, you know, Adam talked about the power of that father's statement. I believe. He showed faith. And, and we think, well, there's an example to follow. He had faith. But, you know, look a little closer. He did have faith. But who did the heavy lifting? Because he said, if you can, you know, save my son. If you can. And Jesus really, it was, it was a, a mocking, challenging statement. He said, if, if I can. And he was calling him out on his unbelief. And he, and he cried out. God, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. And so even in those things, Jesus does the heavy lifting. So I just want to, as we go into this Apostles' Creed, and we're going to get to the first part in a moment, but I just want to talk, wanted to talk about doubt and how it attacks all of us. And one of the strongest, uh, one of my strongest believing friends, we were sitting in a, a Bible study one time, and we were talking, and, I, and this guy's faithful, he's disciplined, he has good quiet time, he spends time in the Word, and he's been faithful his whole life. He's a believer who grew up in the church, and he said there are some days I, I start to, I feel under attack, and I think it's all a bunch of hooey. Now, that's a strong statement, and most people in here wouldn't ever begin to say, I don't believe, but I think we can all say sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we have doubt, but God's the author and perfect of our, of our faith. He helps our unbelief. And so let's give thanks to the God of uh, faith when we have doubt. Okay? All right, let's jump in. Uh, I believe in God, uh, maker of heaven and earth. Um, I'm sorry, I lost my place here. Thanks for bearing with me. All right, here we go. I want to flip it around a little bit uh, because I looked at this kind of in a human way to teach it. Um, hurdles. So let's think of hurdles. I don't. We have anyone out here who's actually uh, jumped hurdles, run some track? Michael, could you do it today? <laughs> um, let's take the low ones first. Let's take the easy ones and work up to the hard. So I want to kind of switch it around. I want to talk about God as Maker of heaven and earth first. To me, it may be different for some. To me, that's a pretty easy hurdle. We'll talk about why. God Almighty, a little more difficult, but still. Um, for a believer, that's a hurdle we can get over. But in God the Father, that's one where we typically, um, even as strong believers, have our doubts, or we at least don't embrace the full uh, power of that statement. So let me start with God of Maker, God Maker of Heaven and Earth. My, in my personal testimony, this was this one is really easy for me. I didn't grow up in a church, but my belief in God, I can remember from a very early age, having these discussions with childhood friends, you know, is there a God, what do you believe? And I'm, I'm just like, look at, there's just too much. There's too much intricacy. And so it's, it's a general revelation. I would say obvious revelation. The, the uh, theology term is general revelation. Romans 1.20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So men are without excuse. And 
I think maybe it's uh, easy to clear that hurdle for everyone. You believe that God made it all. But I think sometimes we get jaded and we forget to, to look at how awesome the creation is and how awesome the creator is and how it reflects him. I mean, science, the best it can ever do is begin to explain what's been made. And the other theories about um, how it was made, and we, we get all hung up on science, but science, the best it can do is begin to explain. But I just want you to ponder for a moment, and you can go anywhere you uh, want with this, what speaks to you. As a, I love the outdoors. I love to hunt, and a lot of people know this about people who hunt and fish, but it's, it's the experience of being in nature. But from the smallest thing, from a walking stick in a tree, how, how do we become jaded to that? If you really look for a moment, be amazed. Be amazed at the creation. Don't be jaded. Look at everything. The squirrel, you know, he, he grabs the nut. He buries a lot of them. He's going to eat them later. Some he can't find, and here's an oak tree, and here it goes again. Look at the human body. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And be, be amazed. It's unbelievable all around us. That's why I put this as, to me, it's the lowest hurdle. The sun, who can explain that? It's burning. Why hasn't it burned up? It's really hot. I think it's really hot. <laughs> but it's still burning. It came up again. I mean, is it not mind-blowing? How quickly do we, we get in the world, we, we listen to some scientists, maybe we are scientists, and we, we begin to think, you know, we've got this figured out. Oh, I've seen that before. But have you really seen it? So that would be my challenge to you in this area of God, maker of heaven and earth. I put the um, I put the Hebrew uh, Judaic name up there, Elohim. Uh, God, that's another interesting study. I tried to not go there so I could keep this contained, but the names of God, and this uh, kind of begs for the names of God, but God is creator. Don't, just please, don't fail to be amazed this week. I used to, I used to look at man-made things and say, well, that's, those are different, you know. Man usually messes it up. That's outside of God's. But even the man-made things, God made man who can create, who can discover, you know. So if, if you say, well, the real wonders of the world are not the Grand Canyon, it's the pyramids, it's Stonehenge. How did man do that? Well, how did man go to the moon? God made a creature who could do those things. So you can really be amazed at the world around you. Let's take notice if we can. But if you cleared that hurdle and you went no further, uh, you'd be in the company of a deist. Some of you know what a deist is, but a deist, basically the short is, I believe in God. There is a creator. I believe that God created it all, but he's not involved. You know, it's the watchmaker theory. God created it, and he put it in motion, and he, he walked away. The watchmaker doesn't need to stay there with the watch. It works. And, um, and at the point that we clear this hurdle... We're really on that same level. It's important. It's foundational to our faith, but it's not saving. No understanding God as a creator is not saving. In fact, if you go back to the Roman scripture, it's really it's, it's condemning because that's where in Romans it says, you know, so men are without excuse. Everyone can see that there's a creator. You have to work really hard to believe that there's not. So it's not saving. We're there with the DS. We've cleared that hurdle. How about God Almighty, El Shaddai? Anybody remember the Amy Grant song? Cool song. Shows your age. Um, so when you condense something like a creed, you use fewer words. 
Adam talked about that last week, how it's helpful to condense. But when you're going to choose just a few words for a creed, you choose them carefully. There are a lot of names for God. That's a great uh, thing to go down that rabbit trail and chase that down. It's beneficial. I, we've probably done it sometime in a sermon, and we probably will again. But why, why Almighty? Why, why do we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty? El Shaddai, all-powerful, absolute uh, sovereignty. What does the word Almighty mean? Well, it's a, it's a collective. It's not even a word in itself. It's a collective meant to represent all of God's attributes. And again, kind of like with creation, I want to invite you to ponder God Almighty for a minute and what those attributes are because we say them a lot in church. But I don't think, for me, I don't always grab a hold of how mind-blowing they are. God is, God is almighty, so it's the collective of all his character and terms. He's immutable. He can't, be, he can't be changed. He's unchanging. can't be changed by us. He's omniscient. He knows all. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's involved and connected. He's holding it all together by his word. He's self-existent. That's God Almighty. It's the collection of all those terms of character. Uh, from this book that I was telling you about, Albert Mower, uh, The Apostles' Creed, the God of Christianity is not just an ordinary God. He is almighty, can do anything, possesses all power. The one who created by the power of his word and who rules forever. In Job, in his interaction with God and with his friends, he says, who can find the limit of the Almighty? He, when he ponders this, he recognizes. Who can contain him? We sing it, uncontainable, unfathomable. God Almighty. So just like with um, God Creator, this is a little more difficult a hurdle that requires some specific revelation from his word and to believe that, but even from creation we can see God Almighty, all-powerful. Um, and like God as creator, it's foundational to our faith. It's very important. Um, and I would invite you to, to have fear and respect and be in awe of God Almighty. But it's foundational to our faith, but it's also still not saving faith at this point if we understand god made it all and yes he's all powerful um where does that leave it at that point we stand shoulder to shoulder i guess in faith with uh the muslim who believes the same thing god made it all he's all powerful um with um with the with the jew we also believe god made it all he's all powerful but it's the belief in god the father that when we cross into the threshold of Christianity. That's why I wanted to talk about that last. It's the hurdle that only is cleared with the Christian faith. We believe in God the Father Almighty. There's so much that could be uh, said here, and uh, I feel like someone who comes up in the next couple of weeks to talk about the Apostles' Creed is going to talk about the Trinity and how intentional it is that the, that the early church thought it important to you'll see highlighted, you know, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, His only Son, and you see the Trinity is very obvious. It was very intentional in the creed. I'm not going to go there today, uh, but I want to focus on Father, God the Father. 
So if you look in, if you look through the Bible in the Old Testament, you know God is rarely referred to as Father at all in the Old Testament. And when he is, it's not the same word uh, typically that's used in the New Testament. And there's lots of imagery there as God is Father, and there are a few mentions, 15 total in the Old Testament. So, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament 15. In a minute, maybe someone out there knows um, who's geeked out on this like you do when you're going to preach, but how many times Father's mentioned in the New Testament, but it's throughout. And because I'm bringing this message, I'm so aware Today, how many times we've already said Father? We have a prayer meeting before church, and how many times Father has spoken? And let's look at the contrast, what makes uh, the difference. But all in all, in the Old Testament, um, the term Father is used only 15 times. After Jesus comes, and through the teaching of Jesus, the fatherhood of God takes a real decided turn. From Jesus' own lips, through uh, the new uh, through the Gospels, he uses the term 165 times as he shows us how to pray, as he speaks uh, to the Father. Now again, uh, to avoid a, a rabbit trail, there are some differences in Jesus addressing God as Father because of who Jesus is, but he also teaches us that God's a Father. And that's why you see after Jesus and throughout the rest of the epistles and the rest of the writings, God referred to his Father constantly. And again, like we've talked about with creation and God Almighty, I think for us as Christians it can become, we can get a little bit jaded to it. God is our Father. Uh, there's no evidence in any pre-Christian uh, Jewish literature that the term was ever used to address God. So it's one thing to read about God and think of God as Father, but then addressing uh, God is Father. And not only Father, but Abba Father. And so it's not just, if you, if you do the research on the term, it's not just Father begot uh, as a paternal image. It's an endearing term. It's Father. It's personal. It's relationship. And um, I've, I've heard it uh, preached a lot, and I thought this was interesting. I've heard it preached that it's more like Daddy. Abba Father's more like Daddy. And I don't want to step on that if anyone... What, what, I, what I saw in my study this week is it probably really means Father uh, and not uh, Daddy. But it's no less. It's a, it's a very unique uh, term that means personal. This is my Father. This is my Dad. And so uh, until Jesus entered the world, we didn't refer to God as Father. So this is the hurdle that counts. And... Uh, well, believe it or not, did I skipped some, some stuff. Skipped a picture. Did that flash up there? Did y'all see a picture of a snake earlier? No. Let's, just, let's just show it so we can get it over with. <laughs> this is totally uh, out of order, but when I was talking about creation, I saw that yesterday. And so sometimes it's, wow, I'm in awe of that. That's amazing and beautiful. And sometimes it's like, whoa. Um, but that was uh, back under the heading of God, our creator. <laughs> And I must have left something out because we're going really fast. You guys are going to probably want, you're going to want me to teach again. Um, so, um, let me just come back to this as God the Father. Of the three names of God that we look at in this first part of the Apostles' Creed, this is the best news. And within God as Father, 
So we, you know, I mentioned when Jesus came, now we begin to address God as Father, but also because of Jesus, we address God as Father. Because Jesus came, he lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He took the sin, our sin, that he didn't deserve. And because he did that, and because God gave us his only son, we can now refer to God the Father. It's everything. This is where we cross over into the Christian faith, what we believe. Everything uh, hinges on this. And so this is the best news. This is um, the same almighty God who created all that is. He's my father. He's your father. He's our father. Uh, because we're sons and daughters of God, we're heirs with Christ to inherit all that Christ has. We'll have eternity with him. He made it all. He's all-powerful. And he's a good, good father who loves us. And that's my encouragement this morning. Um, it's just lay hold of the gospel. And when we're saying the Apostles' Creed, Creed, I believe. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God my Father because of what Christ has done. That's the difference maker. Please pray with me. Well, God, I thank you. Um, I thank you that you got me through this, just uh, honestly. But I also, um, I do trust you that you'll use even my words um, and my time here, Lord, um, as we listen to your truth, Lord, to, to remove our doubt, help our unbelief, help us really to see the wonder of uh, what you've created and how powerful you are, how almighty you are. Help us to really, uh, help us not to be jaded. Help us to truly understand. And as we uh, call you Father, Lord, help us to truly understand what a privilege uh, it is. Everything that it means to us, our inheritance, our eternal inheritance that we have in you. What Christ did for us. That the veil was torn. That we come to you as our Father, a good Father. We can even see, as we're made in your image, how important our fathers are to us on earth, Lord, for good and bad, but how um, powerful our Father um, resonates with us. But how much better in you we have a good Father. What even earthly Father would give a son a snake or a fish, as your word says, but how much more you created it, who created us, who is almighty to have you for our Father, Lord. I just thank you for the gospel. I thank you for what Christ did. I pray that if there's someone here uh, this morning uh, who hasn't believed, we'll ask you to help uh, with their unbelief, Lord, who would come to know you. things in Jesus' name.